Welcome to Round Hill Radio. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, search for moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we're talking about when we talk about faith. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Leslie. How's it going? It's going well. How about you? <laughs> Good. I think I messed up the intro, but I'm going to leave it. Yeah. Imperfection. <laughs> so it's I'm called s- the essential imperfections of life. I love it. I'm searching for those moments of grace. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we had a funny moment. <laughs> Um, yeah. which I think genuinely was the first of its kind where I mentioned uh, something in the podcast last week and I might have stumped Ed. I froze. You, you didn't freeze. <laughs> you did not freeze. But I my question was about something that I cannot remember either for the record, which is like what's up with the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives. And in true... Reverend Doctor Head Horseman, form you are you are here. You're prepared. We have a book. Oh, we have a computer. I've got everything. The library. The professor's in. <laughs> Let's see if we can find the professor. So, uh, what's up with Mount of Olives? What is up? What happened? What? Why do we know it? I mean, I know there's a Beethoven piece. Oh, because there's the Hallelujah for the Mount of Olives. Okay. And I always, great. I I know that it's a great piece, and um, that's the. The holly from it, and uh, I always wonder what's up with the Mount of Olives. Well, we're going to find out. Let's do it because I've got I've got all kinds of information with me here today. Super. And when you had asked this question, um, I, I the only thing I could identify was its significance in the life of Jesus at the fir- at the last week of his life. Yeah. So I did some digging in the Harper Bible Dictionary, which was fascinating and found all all sorts of things about it. I thought this was worth coming back to because it's not possible to read through the Bible for very long without being coming across something and saying, what is that? What is that place? Or who are those people that are being mentioned? Right. Right, right. Here here we have a book that is, first of all, written in other languages, Mm -hmm. either Hebrew, Aramaic or Greek, Mm -hmm. and full of references and insider comments that, you know, we have to keep sort of digging away at. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what is the significance of the Mount of Olives? And the other thing I realized, slight disadvantage, not having ever visited Israel, this is another... (laughs) interesting issue because mm-hmm. in my mind the geography has always been a big question mark it's sure. very important but like where are these things and how tall is the amount of you know all of yeah. those things i feel like my understanding of the geography very much goes back to like a bible coloring book i had uh, <laughs> um so that's really a limited understanding but if you want to know more we have two podcasts about the holy land see from about three years ago that are very good it, i do have to say that is yes that's fabulous so check those. i'll bet we've got some geographical references in there that would be really helpful but i just the other i think the other thing that was calling me to just dig into this a little bit is because the mount of olives does play a particularly important role in the life of jesus during the last week of his life mm-hmm. at the beginning of the last week of his life yeah so i'm just going to pull out a couple of things from harper's bible dictionary here that's interesting so you know wait for it here's a super interesting it's a high hill to the east of jerusalem so we start off with just some you know shocking information that the mount of olives is actually kind of like it's a high hill it's a a, i mean (laughs) you never know well it gets better tell me it is a comparatively good area for growing olives so So I think now we've got two incredibly you know, uh, important factoids. As the Brits would say, it's what it says on the tin. And I appreciate that. You know, it is labeled 
appropriately. Exactly. So right. we're starting from a place of uh, <laughs> knowing where we are. We've got a solid foundation. But we know, we, now we know it's east. Yes, it's east. And it's interesting because it is a ridge. It is a mile long. It dominates Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. It rising 230 feet above the Temple Mount. So this is a significant geographical formation, right, next to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, the Mount of Olives was Jerusalem's watchtower. So every approach from Transjordan, as well as from the north and south, is visible from it. Um, Jerusalem communicated to the world from here in days of yore Mm -hmm. by signal fires, right, as when the beginning of each month was announced. So it's it, it is an incredibly important geographical feature. It also is an important uh, location for pilgrims. So pilgrims coming into Jerusalem from that direction would have risen over the Mount of Olives and then gone down into the valley and up into Jerusalem on their pilgrimage. Got it. And it's believed that Jesus would have encountered many of those pilgrimage, pilgrims uh, on his way into Jerusalem on his own pilgrimage, right, at the beginning of the last week of his life. Um, so it's another interesting part of this is that there is reference to a place, Bethphage, which also is mentioned in the Palm Sunday stories that we have about Jesus. It says that Bethphage was, it fortified the center of the mount, though its location is somewhat up for discussion now. Okay. So wherever that has gone, it's no longer, we're no longer able to, I guess, understand exactly where its location but the temple was totally open to view from the mount. And so people who were pilgrims visiting Jerusalem had to begin to be mindful of their conduct, <laughs> which I thought was very interesting. So you have this, um, this place, which is very important historically. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll just also mention, I'm, I'm going on to my laptop now. Love it. I mean, that's how far I'm stretching for this. <laughs> Um, There's a wonderful biblical commentary. So there are commentaries on every book of the Bible written by scholars from all over the world, Mm -hmm. all of whom are trying to understand the depth and richness of the books. And Stanley Hauerwas taught for many years at Duke Divinity School, and he wrote a commentary on Matthew. And here's how he begins the chapter that talks about Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Jesus and the disciples come near to Jerusalem, reaching Bethphage, Mm -hmm. so they're going through that particular village, and the Mount of Olives. This will be the staging area for Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So I thought that was interesting, to think of this area where, you know, if you've ever been part of a large demonstration, there's always a staging area. Right. People were gathered, the buses get parked, you get instructions, you get water. Mm -hmm. And in this case, I thought this was interesting because it suggests something I have long suspected about these stories, which is that Jesus was planning these events very carefully. Sure. Normally, he's pretty serendipitous, right? Things kind of he moves in response to the needs of people as he travels from village to village but here he's thinking things through it is a triumphal entry uh says Hauerwas, but one that parodies the entry of kings and their armies because jesus is going to ride a donkey right right not a war horse this is the entry of the one who has come to serve but that he has come to serve makes him no less a king. So mm-hmm. it's an interesting combination. Mm-hmm. And one last comment about him, um, this. The great King David, so this is many centuries before Jesus is mm-hmm. alive, went to the Mount of Olives in grief because of his son 
Absalom's conspiracy against him. Mm. So this is a place that's just layered with meaning. Mm -hmm. And Jesus moves across the Mount of Olives through Bethphage. He will then enter the city. And he enters the city during Passover. There's a lot of tension at the time because the city is jammed with pilgrims. Also, it's jammed with soldiers because Roman soldiers are there who are obviously there to, quote-unquote, keep the peace. Mm -hmm. So anything could disrupt that very fragile balance. And uh, as Jesus gets closer to the city, leaving the Mount of Olives behind him, he enters that din and has his own little protest march uh, as he enters the city. At the same time, probably that Pontius Pilate, who's the governor of that area, comes into the other part of the city, probably from the west, Mm -hmm. again, with cavalry, because he's there to demonstrate, don't mess around. Right. Right. Don't step out of line. And and that's his mission. So you have two processions on a collision course. Oh, so interesting. So there's a little bit of the background. I love that. It makes it sound like the Mount of Olives Olives is very much a gateway. Mm. I think that's right. Both outward looking in terms of the signal fires and the communication with other towns, but then being able to see the temple from the in from your way in. It's very inward looking. So it's this kind of right. double faced situation. Yes. Very interesting. That's a it's a great image, Leslie. And I think it lines up nicely with some comments that the writer Herbert O'Driscoll makes about this. He says that in a way you can think about um, you can think about we can think about ourselves as Jerusalem. Okay. And that in some ways, we also contain within us a lot of conflicting and competing forces. Sure. Right? And sometimes the, the, there's welcome at mm-hmm. the city gates when we hear good things coming, let's mm-hmm. say, especially from the teachings of Jesus. And sometimes we're like some of the religious leaders who are saying, you know what, tone it down. We don't want to disrupt things. Right. And he, uh, Herbert O'Driscoll actually says that we can really reinforce the guarding <laughs> at the gates of our own inner Jerusalem if we don't want a certain kind of message of love or compassion to come in. Yeah. And the spiritual journey is about learning how to open those gates and not resist. So he actually gives a kind of spiritual or metaphorical meaning to Mount of Olives. To is going it, to your point as a gateway, as is a it gateway. is it locked? Is it barred? Yeah. Or is there a signal out that says, welcome and come in? Boundaries. 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 How porous are they? There's that fabulous book, which I will have to add a link to because I'm going to not remember the name, but I think it's, I think it's Create Boundaries, Find Peace or mm. something by Nitra. Yep. I will find it. It's amazing. Apologies for butchering your name. <laughs> um, but the, yeah, but boundaries are a big, I think a big point of discussion right now in, in our society. Oh, I agree. As ways of, of lovingly protecting ourselves and creating healthier relationships. Right. So the to me, the question that also goes along with that, when are the times when we really have to let the boundaries down mm-hmm. in order to allow in? Uh, sometimes, you know, it could be ideas mm-hmm. or people mm-hmm. or 
whatever else might be wanting to come into our lives. Yeah. How do we how do we allow that to happen right. in ways that uh, don't devastate the quality of the inner life, right? Yeah. Of yeah. the of the inner Jerusalem that we carry around with us, right? Like right. knowing what voices to listen to and mm-hmm. what things to let in, and and like you said, Jerusalem being such a place of um, such a place of I guess conflict, but that's not the word I'm thinking of, mm-hmm. um, of opposing forces. Yeah, right. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Tensions. Yes. As, and especially at this time. The other thing that I think is really important to lift up at this, uh, you know, as part of what we're talking about, mm-hmm. um, historically, um, the, the references to Jews in these texts sort of lay solidly at their feet the response Jewish leaders in particular Jewish yeah. people in Jerusalem lay solidly at their feet the responsibility for Jesus death uh-huh. but that's really a misreading now it's entirely possible that a group of religious leaders mm-hmm. was invested in not wanting Jesus to stir things up sure and 60 years from Good Friday will mark 60 years historically going backwards um, will mark the anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous letter from Birmingham jail, Mm -hmm. which was addressed to white clergy. And in that in that letter, he was saying, you know, look, I hear from you this desire, constant desire to be patient, wait for the right time, you know, don't stir things up. But he said, you have to understand that from my perspective, Martin Luther King's, watching what was happening to people of color, this is not the time to slow down, Yeah. right? I mean, people's lives were at stake. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, Jesus seems to have chosen carefully a time when he would push things farther than they had pushed before. Mm-hmm. Small group, perhaps, came forward to say, we wish you would dial it down, mm-hmm. which he did not. Mm-hmm. But it's it's really the, the power of the Roman uh, occupying force and government that's executing Jesus. Okay. Um, and they are the ones who, you know, uh, would have occup- sort of exercised that force of domination to say, look, here's a person who's potentially going to cast a spark in a, in a city that's already kind of riled up. Right. We really can't afford that. Right. And Jesus is willing to pay the price for that. He's willing to demonstrate his message so visibly and clearly that he knows it will attract attention mm-hmm. and get pushback from the Roman occupying force. Mm-hmm. So that's, a, I think, a imp- really important part of that story. That's so interesting in how I feel like over history we see experiences of that or um, examples of that, mm-hmm. of people pushing and pushing, mm-hmm. you know, yep. against even, even people who are not necessarily against them, but maybe want to like, like you said, keep the peace a little bit. Sure. And you know, I'd bring it right down to our personal relationships, mm. right? I mean, every time someone has to face the fact or has this thought, gosh, I really have to confront so-and-so mm-hmm. over something. Mm-hmm. That's a small but significant example of where we're having to kind of push through mm-hmm. and demonstrate more visibly something that we feel. Mm-hmm. And how many times in my life have I heard someone say, oh, I'm really uncomfortable with confrontation. Sure. Right? Sure. It's not easy. No. And um, despite the fact that we have within our sacred scriptures this phrase, speak the truth in love, Mm-hmm. Uh, you speak the truth, and sometimes uh, even when it's done in a loving spirit, that gets left out. <laughs> or some people, I often find also forget the last 
part of that <laughs> sentence. Exactly. <laughs> right. So, hey, you did a great job speaking the truth. Yeah. I didn't get the in love the part. The love, the love got left at the door. <laughs> Let's bring all the parts of that of that statement in. Right. Right. Yeah. It, uh, Leslie, it actually made me that thought made me rethink. Um, you know, my understanding of Palm Sunday, because mm. if Jesus is really demonstrating compassion throughout his entire life, which okay. we believe, and he's doing it with every word he speaks, every action he takes, mm-hmm. although his protest stirs things up, yeah. and although it makes leaders uncomfortable, although it leads to horrif- horrifying things for himself, right. puts his disciples at risk, right. um, What's what is he expressing about love when he enters the city? Right. There's still love there. Right. But it's a public, maybe more political, more, you know, protestful kind of love than we're used to. Yeah. It almost feels like a permission de- demonstration. Exactly. That's kind of the word. Yeah. yeah. And so this is part of our faith. This is included though as part of our experience, our heritage of faith. And how can we claim that? in our own lives. You know, each of us has to decide, I think, where that's happening in our personal lives or in relationship to a cause or a movement Mm -hmm. that really claims our attention. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking that truth in love. Mm -hmm. And that... That's right. You know, sometimes the love requires us to speak the truth. Yep. And the truth demands of us to speak in love, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Thank you for this. And uh, we know I the more you know. And you know, Leslie, <laughs> if you hadn't stumped me, <laughs> if you hadn't frozen me in place. It only took five years of podcasting I w- <laughs> to do it. <laughs> I luckily reached out to my friend, the Harbor oh, Bibles Dictionary. See, information's always close at hand. <laughs> Thank goodness. Thank goodness. (laughs) Well, thank you all so much for joining us today. Roundhill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Roundhill Community Church. For more information, please visit roundhillradio.org.